Thanks for downloading this episode from Teachers Talk Radio. You can find the full schedule and listen back to all our shows at ttradio.org. This show is brought to you in partnership with the Witherslack Group, experts in special education and care. Enjoy the podcast. This is Teachers Talk Radio and you are listening live. Hello, good morning everybody and welcome to Teachers Talk Radio with me, Holly Kingmand. It is half term and I have got quite an incredible guest for you today. I am absolutely thrilled to have this legend of education podcasting. So grab a cuppa, get ready for the conversation. We're about to start. This is Teachers Talk Radio and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, everybody. Welcome. It's half term. Are you having a nice break? What are you all up to? Hopefully you are having a well-deserved rest. Um, I can't say that I am. I have three children under five. So as you can imagine, uh, it's pretty hectic having everybody at home, husband included, who's also a teacher. Um, So it's a busy half term for us, but it is lovely nonetheless to have a little break from um, our our passion, our our jobs, our, our teaching. So as I said, I have quite an incredible guest lined up for you today. Uh, This is a really thrilling one for me because I am a a big fan and um, I've been fangirling over this person for a while. And I was absolutely thrilled when I found out uh, from our big bosses at Teachers Talk Radio that I may have the opportunity to interview him. And it's none other than Phil Naylor of Naylor's Natter. Now, you have probably heard of the podcast. If you haven't, where have you been? Um, But what I will be speaking to Phil about today is his book. So there is now a book version of Naylor's Natter podcast. And it is uh, it's ideas and advice from the collective wisdom of teachers as heard on the popular education podcast. That's what it says on the cover of the book. And it really is that. So we will be speaking to Phil about his book, about podcasts in general, about education, his interests in education and, and what's next. So we're going to take a little break from the conversation now just to listen to some other education experts um, offering advice and services and um, of course the news which is incredibly important Uh, big news at the moment of course with a new education secretary I feel like every other week I'm doing a show on that but maybe that will be another show to come soon Uh, but as I say a quick interval an important and useful interval before we come back to the conversation with This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.witherslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. If you're listening to this, then we know we share one thing in common. A passion for the type of outstanding education that every child deserves. That's what makes us the leading provider of specialist education and care. We need people like you to help us achieve even more. With us, you'll be given all the resources and support you need, offered a clear path to career progression, and be rewarded with some of the best salaries and benefits the industry has to offer. We are Witherslack Group. If you'd like to find out more, we'd love to hear from you. Visit www.witherslackgroup.co.uk forward slash careers and be part of our future. This is Teachers Talk Radio and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. So 
Saturday the 29th of October saw a so-called March of the Mummies, according to an ITV News report. Hundreds of people campaigning for improvements in childcare and working conditions for parents took part in marches in Manchester and 11 other cities. The march was organised by campaign group Pregnant Then Screwed, who say that the UK has some of the world's most expensive childcare. The group believes that children in the UK are being born into poverty because parental leave is not well paid enough and a lack of flexible working conditions is forcing parents out of the workforce. A spokesperson for the campaign group said research suggests that employers are desperately trying to find highly skilled people to work, whilst hundreds of thousands of women who desperately want to work can't. In response, a government spokesperson said, the government is committed to supporting working parents and helping them participate and progress in their working life. The UK has one of the most generous maternity leave entitlements in the world. They went on to highlight the recent consultation on making the right to request flexible working a day one right for all. More than £7.5 million has been announced for the extension of mental health programmes for schools in Northern Ireland. Education Minister Michelle McIlveen announced funding continuation for the Engage 3 and Healthy Happy Minds projects. Ms McIlveen said that the feedback from school leaders and staff was that both programmes had been invaluable in helping to support pupils across all educational settings. Both schemes were created to help alleviate the impact of the pandemic on children and young people. Durham University students have queued on the streets overnight to secure a home for next year, according to a report from the BBC. Lists were released and hundreds lined up outside of estate agents in the city with one student saying some showed up at his current accommodation for a viewing in a panic for next year. The university said it had anticipated pressure on the private rental market and increases in rent and was giving the issue urgent attention. Durham Students' Union described the city's housing market as broken and claimed that increasing student numbers were putting both welfare and education at risk. First-year undergraduates in the city have guaranteed accommodation, but have to find their own housing after that. The university is encouraging students to contact their college if they are facing difficulties. TES magazine features a story from Scotland as a teaching watchdog raises child protection concerns with the government. The General Teaching Council for Scotland says its role protecting children is being adversely affected by police failing to share information. A judge ruled last year that critical evidence should be shared by police. But the GTC for Scotland says the change has been slow to take effect. New figures also show that the GTCS, Fitness to Teach process, has also been hit by the pandemic, with the average time taken to close a case increasing to 249 days during 2021-22, compared to 113 days the previous year. The GTCS is responsible for investigating and making decisions about Scottish teachers' fitness to teach and says it relies on agencies sharing information and making referrals. Police Scotland's Assistant Chief Constable responded by saying that child protection is a priority and no child will be put at risk of harm. The GTCS has recently come into criticism for its handling of child protection cases. The full article is available via TES magazine. Professor Alison Beverstock has been awarded with special recognition at the Soldiering On Awards 2022, held in London recently. Professor Beverstock is the founder and director of the charity Reading Force, which promotes shared reading within Forces families. The UK's 130,000 Forces children typically face ongoing challenges such as disrupted education, uncertainty and parental absences. The Reading Force project was designed to promote family connectivity through books, as well as raise higher education aspirations, engagement and transition. The Soldiering On Awards recognise the achievements of those serving in the armed forces, as well as those who support them. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this week I'm going to talk about buying a laptop. 
question I get asked all the time. So this is what you need to know if you're considering buying a laptop for yourself or a loved one. First up, it's physical shopping versus online shopping. My only advice on this is consider how much you're saving online. If a device goes wrong and you bought it from a shop, you can take it back. Online support will usually require you having to post the device back, which can be a bit messy. Even if you buy online, it's always good to visit a shop and actually see the device. I use these few tests to help me decide on a laptop. First, what is it for? If it's for gaming, then you need to look if it will run the games you want to play. All gaming machines will tell you how they perform with popular games. Pick your game, and then it will just be a balancing act on how much you're willing to pay. More expensive usually equals better gameplay. Screen size is my next decision. If I'm going to be taking it places, then a smaller screen will make it easier to fit in a bag. If you're using it a lot, you might want a bigger screen. Next, I try the G test. This is incredibly technical. It involves pressing the G on the keyboard and seeing how much the keyboard flexes. This is a good indicator of build quality. More robust designs will flex less. Sometimes this is a factor I use to decide between two models that are equally powered. If you're a bit of a DIY computer geek, then see if you can upgrade the hard drive and the RAM, etc. Some top-end gaming machines of a cheaper model and bar a small amount of graphics speed simply have more RAM and a bigger hard disk. Next up is the operating system and the life of the device. Pretty much every device will have a point in time where it's not supported anymore and will stop upgrading. It won't stop working, but you'll no longer be able to keep up to date. Sometimes a device with a shorter upgrade life will look appealing because it's cheaper. However, in the long run, it won't last as long. Will a reconditioned computer suit you better? A second-hand or reconditioned machine will usually be considerably less. After all the other checks, have a look at the keyboard. The spacebar, if not replaced, will give a good indicator of the amount of use the machine has had. With new or old, feel how hot it gets. Some laptops run hotter than others. This could be uncomfortable if it's on your knee. Look where the power socket is. Will it be an obstruction in your favorite chair if it's leaned on regularly it can be broken finally don't be dazzled by flashy lights and gimmicks at first you notice them they'll soon be a part of the furniture there's no such thing as a bad machine nowadays there are lots of machines purchased though which are not fit for purpose as always feel free to send your thoughts to at tt radio 2022 i'm steve woods and that was two minute tech two minute tech with steve woods your tech briefing on teachers talk radio Phil, thank you so much for joining us on Teachers Talk Radio. It is a massive privilege to be able to, to talk to you today. Well, thank you so much for asking, Holly. Great to be here. Excellent. Great. So um, we're talking about your book uh, named after your podcast. So the book is a result of your hugely successful podcast, Nailers Natter. And uh, for anybody that might have been living under a rock <laughs> and, haven't, and hasn't heard of your podcast. Um, why don't you tell us how it came about and um, the success the podcast had? Thank you. Well, I'm sure there's a few of those people that haven't yet heard um, <laughs> of Nail as Natty yet. Maybe you're familiar with the theme tune, which I promise I won't sing for you, Holly, on here. But um, in, in terms of how it came about, so it's been going for about, well, almost four years now. Um, at the time, I was working for Blackpool Research School, which was kind of a new development in education. The research schools, the EEF and the IEE had got these new research schools. Now, if I can be honest with the listener, I didn't know anything at all about research and evidence-based practice in education before we started this job. And it was kind of quite a big step up to say, right, we're going to be looking and leading on research and evidence-based practice. So we thought, right, well, we need to kind of get an event that will centralise and get kind of some momentum behind research and evidence-based practice, particularly in Blackpool. So um, the the, the uh, chief executive of the trust where I was working at the time, Stephen Tierney, who's also very big on Twitter, a leading learner, if you want to check him mm -hmm. out on there. He uh, had a kind of a, a contacts book of the who's who of kind of research and evidence, big hitters on Twitter. And he kind of said, right, well, we'll, we'll try and see if we can go to Tom Bennett and we'll put on the first research ed event for Blackpool. So he did it and he got lots and lots of people, Holly, lots and lots of really big education people. Now, the problem was at the time that although those people might have been big in education circles on Twitter, they weren't necessarily going to be able to sell tickets for a research ed conference at a secondary school in Blackpool. So we thought, well, we need to do some publicity here. We need to kind of get our name out, get people to understand what we're kind of trying to do here. So we thought about various things. We thought paying for some marketing, paying for some advertising. Let's get it on Twitter. Let's get it on Facebook. And I think we'd sold precisely, what, two or three tickets, I think. Oh, and, goodness. and the event was about, you know, I don't know, about 10, 11 weeks away. So we said, right, there's this up and coming You must thing have been quaking, quaking in your boots at that point. Well, it was going to be quite. It was going to be quite an intimate event, wasn't it? I think it was going to be presenters <laughs> watching each other um, in the school. So we thought, well, what we're we going to do? So we decided that 
you know, we'd heard of podcasts and I think the big one at the time, and he's still, you know, the kind of guru of uh, podcasting, I would say is Craig Barton. So Mr. Barton maths and all of that sort of stuff. So we'd listened to that and thought, right, we'll give it a go. We'll do some podcasting. Now I've written it in the book. Here's the kind of the, the famous last words. It was right. I said, well, you know, I've got a face for radio, so I'm happy to do <laughs> the, the, the podcast. And it was like, right. Okay. We'll, we'll call it the Blackpool research school podcast. And I remember Stephen and, and Simon Cox, who was the director of the research school at the time, looking across the table and going, yeah, but Phil, what if it's not very good? We don't want to damage the brand. We've got to stay on message. We can't afford to put in content out there that's going to, you know, cause problems for the I to the IE or the EF. So we can't call it the Blackboard Research School podcast. I said, right, well, okay. I said, you know, I've got no reputation to damage, particularly in terms of research and evidence. I'm happy to put my name to it. So if you look at the name and it's it always, Holly, it's always pronounced wrong. So thank you for getting it right because everybody gets it wrong. It's been Nailer, Natters or Nailers, Natters or every variation. But if you, if you look at it, it's Nailers, Natter because it's singular and it was meant to be one. I only thought we'd managed to do one episode. So Simon and I sat in our research school cupboard um, you know, very, very glamorous. Sat in the, the, the converted <laughs> cleaners cupboard, recording our first ever podcast. and put it out there and tried to kind of generate some interest. And you know, it, it, it kind of sank, and there wasn't much interest in it to start with. But we, we kind of got into it a little bit, and it kind of rolled from there. So we started doing more episodes. But then, as you got more episodes done, you got to know more people. Most people that you ask, and you'll probably find this from your show, most people that you ask are quite keen to come on, are quite keen yeah. to speak about what kind of things they're passionate about. You know, and I've listened to some of yours, listened to yours last week, and you know, really passionate about middle schools and um, education and that that sort of thing. And I think, yeah, people want to talk about they what do, they're yeah. about. So you know, then it rolled from there, and it just carried on and carried on. And once you've spoken to this person, you can speak to that person. And once that person, then people started contacting me and saying, you know, I want to come on the show, and it kind of culminated with some real kind of edu big hitters um sort of halfway through and then yeah it kind of rolled from there now you know i've decided whether i was going to carry on or not but i'm sure we'll come to that later on so that was kind of the genesis that was the start of the podcast so it, it has become a huge success obviously because it's it's resulted in a book a fab book as well i should add um so whose idea was the book and what was your vision for the book because <laughs> it's got your that. name on it you can't well, just got you my can't name put it down over to it, yes. uh, the Blackpool <laughs> Institute this has got your name all over it so so exactly. what was your vision for it um well I mean you said there about the podcast being successful and things like that I mean it's hard to, it's hard to say whether you think something is successful or not so it's great that people listen to it but it was always done with the idea that if one person listens to it genuinely that's worth doing because I got yeah. a lot from speaking to the people and actually it kept me current and it kept me understanding like I said to you I didn't know much about research and evidence based practice so it kind of kept me up to date with what sort of things were going on I thought well if that's helping me as a teacher of you know 18 19 years at that point I'm sure it's going to help other people as well so that's kind of the ethos that we did um, in terms of the podcast at that stage. So the book, do you know what? I mean, it came about kind of by accident, like these things do. So um, I, I've been followed on Twitter by a few people who are editing for various different companies. And, you know, they, they usually send me people that have written books and say, you know, will you be interview X, interview Y? And, you know, sometimes we do and sometimes it didn't quite work out. But then one of the editors asked, well, you know, wouldn't it be an idea for you to kind of summarize and put together everything that you've done? Because I think even at that point, we'd done 130 episodes because I was doing it weekly. I mean, goodness knows how you do it, Holly. I don't know how you do it with everything else that you've got going on, but trying to do a show every single week, you yeah, know it's how tough, hard yeah. that is. It's tough to it's... get guests and maintain momentum and 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 do it, have enough time to research everybody. It's, it's a tough gig. Yeah. It really is. So they said, well, perhaps you could put together everything that's, that's been done and see if you get some themes coming through. Now, obviously, there are some huge themes coming through, some of which we'll talk about in different chapters. But then it was like, right, well, can you pull all this together and see whether there's some themes that people can get something from and also try and make it interactive so they can kind of delve into the podcast back catalogue, look at all these different interviews. And hopefully it can be like it was for me back in 2019, an introduction into all the different aspects of teaching. So that's kind of how it started. And apparently, this is according to editors, listeners, and not, I'm not claiming credit for this, but apparently, you know, we had a brand and we had a name. So people thought we were going to use that. Um, whether that's worked or not is anybody's guess. Although, you know, I, I do get some of the students at school um, occasionally laughing at me and saying, sir, you've got merch. 
Like, what, do you, <laughs> what do you mean? What do you mean I've got merch? I've got merch. And apparently I've got merchandise because I've got a book and a podcast. You need to get designed. some you need to get some pens with the, your logo on oh, well. give them out to the kids that you know there you go don't forget your pen you can have one of mine <laughs> that's, that's that's a great idea holly i might well go for that yeah i think that coming soon the nail is not a pen yeah station right reset. <laughs> station reset yeah i'm writing this down i'm writing this down make a note of that um but i mean the, the book as you say is great to have all of that expertise from those 130 something episodes um and maybe you're not aware how useful things like this are for teachers like me that are not school-based so any cpd any training any interests that we have um so i'm speaking from a you know a tutor, a writer, an online teacher perspective, um, we have to go out there and find it. And it's not so easy as it is at school to just say to your line manager, oh, I've seen this course, it's for teachers, can I have a day off to go to it, will the school pay for it, you know, the rest of that. Um, we have to find this. So podcasts like yours, like Naila's Natter, are it's so incredibly useful for training teachers that are not in a typical setting. And the book, I think, does such a great, it does such a great job of bringing all of that expertise together in, in a little handbook. Like you, every, every teacher, especially those outside of the classroom, but all teachers need this on the desk, I, I think. Um, so the book itself is, as I said, it's, it's perfectly organized um, for busy people, busy people like myself, like all teachers. Um, tell us a bit about how you've made it um, useful and usable because you get, I, I buy some really beautiful books um, on different education topics and they usually sit there unread for quite a significant amount of time because, it, you know, it's a long read. So tell us a bit about how you've made this different to that type of book. Well, thank you for saying all that, Holly, for a start. You know, that's exactly why we tried to format it as we did. And the credit for that has to go to Hannah Marston, who was the editor at Bloomsbury at the time, who said that we will use, and I'd used them previously, we'll use these QR codes because it was meant to be a book that, like you said, it was for busy people, busy teachers, and it was a dip in and dip out of book. So if you, again, like going back to when I started, I didn't know much about all of these different movements in education. So here's a way to find out, you know, are you interested in behavior? Right, well, pick up the book, read a little section about how you can look at certain aspects of behavior, then scan the QR code. And, you know, we went through a lot of trial and error with that to make sure it worked, okay? you know, zap that and go into the <laughs> kind of conversation there. And I, I trialed it, Holly, on a, on a colleague at work, and it was a colleague on work, and I'm sure he won't mind me saying this, who, you know, wouldn't necessarily have engaged with that sort of book previously. But, you know, I'd find him in, in the classroom on the free periods, actually flicking through the book. And it was kind of like a, a standing <laughs> joke when I'd walk past, you know, on whatever we were on, on, on duty, whatever. And I'd walk past and he'd be listening to and flicking through the book at the same time. And he said, you know, not because I'd written it, well, because it was a nice gateway into all these different conversations that he kind of really thought, right, well, that's quite targeted for me. Because you're right, there's so much good stuff out there. And we can signpost later on lots and lots of good podcasts that are going on. But if you've got a particular interest in a particular area, hopefully we've kind of catered for that in the book. And you can say, right, behavior or pastoral or leadership or CPD or whatever it might be, I can find you know, some interesting information from somebody who's been doing it for quite a long time is still currently doing it in school. Plus, here's some conversations that they've had with lots of experienced people in, you know, in those kind of fields. And you can take what you want from that. It's kind of like I said, it's a CPD program uh, kind of in a book for you, isn't it? If that's what you want to do. Yeah. Yeah, that's precisely what it is, because like you say, you find the part of the book that relates to, you know, what you're thinking about late at night, you know, what's keeping you awake in terms of your practice and read a little bit, scan the QR code, pop your headphones in. And then when you're pottering around the house or driving to work or whatever you're doing, you can be listening to those, you know, expertise conversations. That's one of the things I've really enjoyed um, about it. Um, so how is the book put together? What are the chapters like? How is it organised? Right. So it was a massive, massive book at first. It was a really big book because there's obviously all those different episodes and different different kind of areas of education that we're going to get into. So in terms of the ones that we kind of trimmed it down to, so we stuck with the kind of introduction and it's important to say how you will use this book. So we've kind of touched on that, haven't we, about how we hope people will be using this book. Uh, but also it, it's quite an interesting window, Holly, into a time in education as well, because we didn't know this when we were writing it necessarily. But, you know, I got the contract 
um, just after I'd started in the new jobs. This was like in January, February 2020. And we all know um, kind of how events unfolded from that point. So (laughs) if you listen to a lot of these conversations, when you dip back in, it's a real interesting kind of almost diary of what education was like at a certain time. So some of the fat flavor does come through the book as well. So we've got, you know, the importance of continuing professional development. You know, I worked for the Teacher Development Trust, the research school, while still being in, in, in schools in Blackpool as well. So I kind of got some experience of working there. Then we looked at behavior, which, you know, I've been leading on. I say, you know, like people are going to know this. <laughs> they may or may not, depending on listen to the podcast, but I led on behavior, safeguarding, personal development, welfare for the first two years that I was deputy head at the school I'm at now. Then it's leadership lessons. Um, then it's pastoral matters. And then we did a chapter on what's next in education because we kind of held some bits back for potentially um, for the second book, which I'm working on currently. I know this is not a shameless marketing. <laughs> there was just, honestly, Holly, there were so many big things that I thought we can't get mm. done by the deadline. I wanted some chapters on pedagogy and practice, curriculum, all of those kind of areas, but they are huge. And yeah. to do it justice would take longer than the deadline that I had to get this book in. So we've kind of held some of those back. We've got some really good conversations about that. And we're having some more kind of in the background at the moment. So hopefully if there's demand for it and people are interested in it, there could be a second version, which might include some of those teaching and learning curriculum topics as well. Oh, well, that's great. And um, uh, it's nice what you say about that chapter five, then what's next in education, because that was my Mm -hmm. favorite chapter, actually. Um, Definitely a, a lot of food for thought, I think, in, in that part part of the mm-hmm. book um so let's talk about the the chapters and the the different sort of sub chapters themselves which did you find hardest to organize and and write because obviously you're drawing from like you say so many podcasts you must have covered the same topic across uh, various podcasts like how which one was hardest to bring together uh, i think the honest answer to that is the ones that didn't make it <laughs> the, the, the ones of, that got the, the chop <laughs> the ones that have got the chop and are still sitting in a in a word document on the computer that i'm using at the moment because you know trying to cover curriculum teaching and learning was quite a difficult thing like i said to mm. do previously so the ones that we've got in there flowed relatively easily but they do have the flavor of the time at which they were written so even the what's next in education some of those things may or may not have come to pass already uh, and some of the stuff around leadership, particularly, which I think was one of the favorite chapters I put together. You can you can feel the reason why we focused on those conversations at that particular time. Like the first recommendation in leadership lessons is about take charge. Well, that was written at a time when, you know, school leaders have been thrown into a completely unknown situation and have to kind of reorganize the school completely, you know, for a partial closure or a testing center or, you know, really high levels of staff and student absence, those sort of things. So we kind of reflected on what leadership looked like at a particular time. So when you read that back, it's quite interesting to see whether some of those practices that we've gone into, you know, during the partial closures have still kind of stuck to what we're doing currently as well so it's quite an interesting one so none of them were particularly difficult to write in that sense the ones that were might come on through uh, on, on the second bit but I guess the leadership one is the most interesting one I think in terms of what we were thinking about at that particular time interesting and and what are your thoughts on um what we learn in that period and for for leadership and how that is, is transferring into the situation schools find themselves in at the moment? I know it's a massively broad question, mm. but what are your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, we had a lot of contributors to that particular section. So, I mean, I've taken things from Matthew Evans, Drew Povey, Becky Allen, Tom Reese, Jill Berry, Neil Reynolds, Professor Michael Young. There was lots of different people that had, that had conversations in that particular area. Um, the first recommendation, like I said, about taking charge was the one that kind of resonates for that particular time because people have gone into leadership and we've talked a lot about, you know, um, kind of different styles of leadership, but that idea of old-fashioned sort of management, right? We've got a situation here that we need to take control of, and I, as the leader of this particular establishment or this particular department or even this particular classroom, need to make sure that I can take charge and provide leadership and reassurance for the people that I'm working with. So we drew on a lot of those guests' experience around taking charge. The second re- recommendation was about knowing what you want to do. Uh, which I think is quite an interesting one because a lot of people kind of um, aspire to and ascend to leadership because they think it's the next natural step that they should take. You know, I've been doing this job for five, six years. Therefore, I think I should be assistant head teacher or deputy head teacher or head of department. And then, you know, at interview questions, some of these guests were talking about, well, you asked the question, well, that's very all very nice, but 
what do you want to do when you become assistant head or deputy head? Well, I, I just think it's the next natural step for me. You know, I think I should be. And I think, well, there has to be something that you want to lead on, but you have to have a vision for what kind of things you want to do with that particular position. So we talked a lot of detail there about, you know, what you're going to lead on. Are you going to be leading on behavior? Are you going to be leading on teaching and learning? You know, I just don't want to be the deputy head just because I'm the deputy head. I need to have kind of a rationale for what I want to do. Then we talked about, um, which is my old boss, uh, Neil Reynolds, who um, has moved out of education. Now he's working in football full time. But he had a saying, which we still use regularly, about not getting bogged down, but closing circles. So he had, he had an expression about if you started something, whether that be a pastoral issue or, you know, even a finance issue or whatever it might be make sure that you see that through to the end. So you close that circle and make sure that, and we, we still kind of use that language quite a lot now. And Neil speaks really powerfully about how he uses that, probably continues to use that in football now, as they are quite near the top of the league, uh, FC United of Manchester, if people are familiar with those. Um, developing expertise. Again, this is, speaks to what you were talking about, Holly, before. That just because you got to a point where you're a leader in an establishment, you still need to develop your expertise in different areas. Mm. And, you know, I've been lucky to lead on a lot of different areas. You know, at one point in my career, I was head of ICT. You know, I've never oh, taught ICT, but I was, in, I was the well, head of ICT. Techie now, aren't you, with the podcast? Well, well I've, had to, I've had to buy a microphone listener just for these because um, I did that thing when I said I was giving up the podcast. I thought, right, I can't, there's no going back. I can't do it. It's kind of burning the bolt situation. So I sold the uh, microphone. So somebody out there has got the original Neil of NASA uh, <laughs> microphone. But now I've, I've got, I've had three uh, different things this week. So I've had to buy a microphone listener. So yes, I have got some tech. I have got some tech. But yeah, developing expertise was about, right, well, all the different areas are going to work in. Mm. How do you go about picking up all that area, you know, reading, podcasts? And it changes as well so much. You know, the things that I was, was taught when I was training as a teacher already, so many of those things have been completely debunked. So if mm. you if you, you need to stay on top of it, don't everyone? Absolutely. Yeah. And that's the, that was the important thing about that. It was like that leaders are humble enough to say, I don't know everything. And here's different ways that I can find out some more information. And it's important to keep sharpening the saw in that kind of Stephen Covey seven habits um, of effective people saying, right, you know, you never made it completely. You need to keep developing. So that was one. And then we talked about teamwork and about the makeup of, I've got some interesting views on make, the makeups of senior leadership teams. Um, but that was coming through the conversations we had with people there about this kind of boom and bust of senior leadership teams that, you know, become really big and quite bloated when schools are, you know, quite successful. And you have, you know, as I talked about on another podcast last week, you know, you might have assistant head teacher in charge of paper clips, whatever it might be. <laughs> and then, and I've been that one listener as well. So I'm not denigrating anybody. I've been the kind of assistant head for their paper clips are important. They are very important. Yeah. But then it becomes, well, the school becomes pulling in all sorts of different directions because the leadership team's, you know, a bit too big. And there's lots of, lots of conflicting potentially, certainly disparate responsibilities, which mean people can't really focus on the core business. The school's not performing as well. The leadership team gets trimmed. It comes down to core numbers again, and off we go again. So we talk about the makeup of those teams and how you can best utilize the people there. And the last one, Holly, that we're really passionate about, and I'm banging on about it all the time, it's the idea that leaders, whatever level of leader you are in a school, you should teach. There are no excuses for this one, listener. There's no excuses. Head teachers and everybody else, in my view, and I'm not head teacher, but in my view, they should teach. And yes. why should that be the case? Well, because that's what you came into the job for. And that's the thing that presumably, you know, you want to do. But also, it doesn't half help with the leadership side of things because you see the good bits, you see the not so good bits, you see the things that need developing. And certainly when I was in charge of behavior, Holly, and I don't know whether you found this, living within your own policy is quite an eye opener. And it's all right from your ivory tower um, wonderful office that's, you know, usually nowhere near any corridor. Um, it's quite handy to sit back and go, well, you know, there's no reason why these policies can't be followed until you have to do that yourself. Mm. So we talked quite passionate with the guests about the importance. It was Jill Berry, actually, Jill Berry, who's fantastic. If people don't know about Jill's work, I'm sure they do. She continued to teach right up to being a head teacher, taught every kid in the school all the way through that she was a head teacher because she felt that that was so, so important for the staff and the students. Mm. Are there any schools out there that disagree? Because it just seems like that when you said that, I was like, I totally agree with you, but I can't, I, I can't understand why anyone would disagree. Like it seems like the most common sense approach to, you know, making your way into leadership into, you know, do schools have assistant heads and deputy head teachers not teaching? 
Is it common? Well, I mean, having conversations with people on podcasts, I would say that it's kind of a reflection of the times again. So I don't think that anybody doesn't want to teach. And I don't think that anybody actively avoiding being in the classroom. But I think that it's kind of got, with all the different priorities that are in schools, it's kind of become something that, you know, it's kind of sacrificed for other issues that, that, that schools have got to deal with. Things. Yeah, I think so. And, you know, I think this is something that has certainly happened during the partial closures, because if you think about when the partial closures happened, it wouldn't necessarily have been always the head teacher that was first on site. I'm sure that people are screaming at the radio now saying it was, but there'd be lots of different people that would have been running those partial closures and schools and bubbles and things like that. So lots of different things were added on top of the already massive burden that schools have. So it wasn't because anybody didn't want to teach, but it was because there was so many other things going on. So maybe, you know, it was a legacy of that particular time. Perhaps everybody is in the classroom, but Jill, when I spoke to her, I certainly didn't feel as if that was the norm because obviously head teachers have got a lot of things to do and deputy head teachers the same. But I think it's it's kind of counterintuitive, isn't it? You, you, you really should be in the classroom because that is where you get to find out everything. And also it's great working with the students. It's great seeing the students in that particular way well, I was and then seeing say you that. as a teacher as well. Yeah. You find out all the... Well, not the gossip gossip, but you find out what's going on, don't you? If you're working with mm -hmm. the students, you're sort of absorbing the the culture that your school has created, uh, that you are creating in your school. Mm -hmm. So if you're not experiencing it firsthand, I think you maybe quite are quite separated from that. Um, so that was your favourite chapter, was it? The leadership one? Yeah. Uh, so you say in the book's conclusion that you are looking forward to this is a, this is a direct quote now uh, looking <laughs> forward to returning yeah. to being a passive observer and consumer of audio learning. So um, which podcasts are you into at the moment? Education topics or otherwise? What what are you listening to? Well, firstly, Holly, that didn't last very long, did it? That passive thing. So if you, if you imagine again, <laughs> I, keep, I, keep, I keep saying this, but when I wrote this, um, I think I had two extended bouts of COVID, either isolation or I was quite ill at one stage um, with COVID. So I was off for quite a, a sizable amount of time. I kind of, that chapter was written around about that point. It's like, right. Were you just ready for it to all be over? I was absolutely <laughs> just ready for it to be like, right. I, you know, I've done a podcast, like you, I've done a podcast a week for three and a half years or whatever it will be. I've done all this writing and everything else. It was just like, right, I want to sit back and I want to listen to that. Now I do listen to a lot of podcasts. Um, so the, the biggest kind of influence in terms of, well, I say influence, that's, that's a bit arrogant isn't it, to say that to two famous people who I'm going to mention in a minute will be an influence, like, I, like I've in any way copied what they're doing. But I'm a big fan of Kermode and Mayo's um, film review, so it's called, it's called The Take, isn't it now? Uh, Kermode and Mayo's Take. So I like, I like that one in terms of their style. Um, and I also like a lot of other podcasts. So I listen to the rest is politics and all sorts of other things like that. But in terms of education ones, so obviously Teachers Talk Radio, top of the list, clearly, in terms of the, the, the listening here. But also, I mean, Darren, Leslie and I have kind of come through this together with Becoming Educated. So Darren started a little bit after mine. But if anyone hasn't seen Darren's, I'm sure they have Becoming Educated. Page to Practice is very different. So Bex, who does that, is a really different way of doing things she asks lots of different contributors to read a particular book and then to put their contributions forward and she was good enough to have to have Naila's Natter book on there TNT TNT teaching even beyond good was one I was on recently very very good podcast and, and really really good questions on there much like yourself Holly there were really good questions on there that were really making me think good. about what kind of things we're talking <laughs> about there and then uh, the dynamic deputies as well so lots of mm. good podcasts out there that people can listen to and lots of those have kind of followed up with books and various other bits and pieces so if you haven't seen those then absolutely go and have a look at those but I'm not sure I'm doing much passive consuming I'm quite actively uh, listening to those and tweeting about them writing about them doing all sorts of other stuff as well um, slightly um, off tangent um, personal question, but what do you do when you're listening to your podcasts? That's a great question. So it, it originally... Is it in the car or while walking? Yeah, uh, well, originally I was trying to be a lot fitter than I currently am. So thank goodness, uh, listen, this is an audio podcast. Um, but I was, much, I was doing quite a lot of running at that stage. So I did used to listen to them when I was running quite a lot. I listened to them at the gym quite a lot. Um, I don't have a dog myself, but my mum who lives around the corner here, you know, she just, I'm pointing like around the corner, like people can tell where I'm talking to. But <laughs> I often walk her dogs while listening to that when doing that. But also, I don't know about you, Holly, but I've kind of, I've gone off the idea of coming home after a busy day, 
clicking the TV on and just sitting there and watching TV. I don't, I just don't do that anymore. Now, whether that's because I'm getting old or whether actually that's because what most people are doing, the, the TV barely gets switched on. Yeah. You know, I might watch the odd thing or Netflix or Amazon Prime, whatever it is, but I find myself pottering around doing other things. And I think podcasts are ideal and teachers mm. talk radio. That's ideal to have on in the background. Like I was listening last night. Cause I think, I think Tom did the late show last night, didn't he? And I was listening to the kind of discussions around, inclusion last night that was having and it's really nice to have that on in the background and you feel as if you're just having a nice conversation with professional colleagues don't you so i have a kind of it's not a passive consumer but i have it on in the background quite a lot while i'm doing lots and lots of other things bits as and well bobs yeah i mean yeah. we were saying the same thing um just yesterday actually i've got um three very very little children so we have a lot of pepper pig on in the background that sort of oh, thing yeah. um but we were both saying like just tv off it, unless we're sitting down watching something actually focusing on it turn it off radio on we have a lot of jazz fm or lbc those sorts of things on um but actually while i was listening to one of your podcast episodes recently i can't remember which one i think it might have been simplicitous that episode um but i was um gluing a, a blackboard to the wall in the area of our lounge where the children play and um putting up phonics cards and things so I was I was literally doing a bit of like interior design whilst mm -hmm. listening to a podcast so it's great that you can sort of have that like you say it feels like you're just listening in on a conversation on a chat and you're able to focus on something else whilst doing that as well no I like it I like I'm, I'm, I'm slowly getting more into podcasts um I think I'm a little bit late to the game but um never too late right no definitely not no <laughs> no and like I said I, I I agree with that I mean it's just you think of those kind of dead times where you didn't necessarily use to do anything in particular you know when it, when I get up in the morning rather than you know put the telly on I never really was a person who did that or even put the radio on sometimes I'll think right well I've got half an hour to get ready here so I'll put a podcast on and because they're so user-friendly and easy to do so you can have your iPad or your phone to stick it on the speaker and it, you're off and running aren't you and you can kind of be you know consuming stuff that's going to be useful for you while you're doing other tasks and you know people say well it's half term phil or, or it's the summer holidays you know you should be having a rest you shouldn't be doing this and i think well i like it you know is, is that a bad thing i actually like to talk to people about education i'm interested in listening to people's views on education i don't see it as a job in that sense i see it as a, a privilege to be able to do it and it's great to be able to listen to passionate people that are talking about it like i was listening to yours today while walking down Lytham St Anne seafront with a dog i mean you know could it get better could it get well, better than that? You're living the high life, Phil. Uh, well, <laughs> some, so, sometimes, yeah, sometimes. Uh, wonderful. So you are, as you said, putting, well, you've put Naila's Natter podcast to bed. Um, I didn't realise that you were working on a, potentially working on a second book. And I was going to ask you, is it going to continue in any other forms? So aside from a possible book, what's next for you? Right. Well, um, as we're as we're speaking uh, today, so I'm I've kind of been asked to come out of retirement and do a couple of specials, and you know it didn't take much asking, listener, for me to. I wondered uh, if there yeah. would be like a Christmas special. Or something <laughs> like, like well, there's that. there's always been a Christmas special, which has been the kind of the roundup of the year in a kind of uh, for those of you old enough listeners for a kind of top of the pops rundown of the top episodes <laughs> of whatever year it's been. So there's always been that, but yeah, people have asking me to do special episodes, and because you can, I'm kind of used to it, and you've got the technology, and you know how to edit and put together then you know i've kind of done that so yeah it's kind of continuing in that sense but not every week and, and not always it just as and when um in terms of the second book well it's yet to be commissioned so if we've got commissioning editors you know i'm, I'm, I'm shamelessly <laughs> plugging myself again on these uh these things out so there's, there's nobody taking the second book yet with a working title of some schools are harder than others is the working title that sang to a kind of uh, Smith's B-side kind of thing. But um, the, the conversations that we're having in the background are around. So I'm rather than speaking to, as I've done with the first 160, speaking to the kind of edu big hitters on Twitter and various other places. I'm now speaking to people that are working in challenging circumstances that are kind of um, really kind of booking the trend in terms of what kind of things that they're doing so I'm speaking to them in the background recording all these podcasts but not putting them out holly so not putting them out just kind of recording them transcribing them again looking for themes and then the plan is to kind of put them out as a book with the, te the topic headlines that i mentioned to you before but kind of release the podcasts as a kind of addition to that so you can have the podcast as part of the package of of the book as well but you know we'll, we'll, we'll see how that goes and i'm still doing lots of bits and pieces of 
of writing as well, which uh, people are kind enough to ask me to do. So yeah, lots going on. Lots yeah. Going on. Well, if there's any commissioning editors listening, obviously get in touch with with Phil. But also, I keep saying Teachers Talk Radio, we need to write a book. <laughs> I was yeah, like, I'll oh. write it. I'll do it. I don't know when I'd find the time, but I would definitely write it. Um, well, yeah. that I mean, that just to cut in that 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 if the commission editors are listening now, forget about my book. That's the real one that you want <laughs> because in terms of the the volume and the diversity and the breadth oh, of the coverage that you've got. Is- crazy it's, it's unbelievable so actually yes commission editors forget about snails after the book second one we'll get we'll get there eventually what you need <laughs> is teachers talk radio yeah and you'd be surprised i mean obviously you do a lot of writing anyway don't you holly in terms of your yes. other bits and yeah. pieces that you're doing so you know you're, you're well versed in fitting it in aren't you around everything else i've kind of gone to a, a sort of an atomic habit style um lifestyle now where it's like right we'll get up early in the morning before anybody else wakes up and just do half an hour and just keep ticking it over it's amazing how quickly you actually do yeah, well, well, articles and things. Well, that would probably work if my children didn't get up at half past five every day. I'm not quite <laughs> sure I'm prepared to get up at five o'clock for half an hour no. of writing. No. Um, but yeah, I mean, like you say, the breadth of things, even some of my shows on Teachers Talk Radio, um, I had one where um, I looked at... Um, different exotic pets that might be suitable for the classroom and a story about a a school in a nearby county that um, had had a dangerous spider infestation and about the news covering that and what the best steps were in those sorts of cases and you have really bizarre things like that on Teachers Talk Radio and then you have all of your usual really important um, you know we talk to writers um, all all different experts from all different parts of of the education really so yeah probably lots more random things we might be better off doing a book around like <laughs> the, the more obscure things like that like the exotic pets in the classroom type conversations but and and that would be very very popular that would be that would be a big seller i'm telling you well you I... here first lesson it's, it's an exclusive <laughs> Well, I always ask um, on the end of my, um, on almost every single one of my shows, I've asked, who is your favourite teacher and why? And um, there's been such a, a, a variety of answers. That I've always felt that that might make an interesting book um, one day. Everyone's so different. The, the, it's really interesting, the different impact that teachers have. And I know it's really important. We're all thinking about our practice and, and what we're doing and how we're using research and, and, and so on to inform our practice. Um, but it's really nice and comforting, like a, like a, a nice hot, hot chocolate, for example, to, you know, to come back and just remind yourselves, actually, like for all different reasons, we are so important to our students. And, and it's those lasting memories that actually uh, the core special moments I think why we all come to do what what we do in the first place mm-hmm. um so I'm, I'm obviously going to put you on the spot now I didn't even mention this before so I apologize but who was your favorite teacher as when you were a child and, and why uh right okay so I mean one of these may still be alive so and I don't know whether the, she'll be listening so two different teachers from the same school for two different reasons if I, am I allowed to have two you can is have that, two and actually if they pushing? are alive this is lovely because I've had people in tears at the end of their interviews and somebody you know the pe- teachers have found out afterwards and been really touched by it so yeah go for it have to tell us well the first one um I know isn't alive sadly um Mr King who was my P teacher at, at school at at secondary school and it's just very simple that it was just encouraging so in terms of I played a lot of football at primary school but I'd never been a, a world beater which is uh, amazing seeing I've gone on to do uh, as I never mentioned listener my air license in football and still working in football now but it, it kind of recognized a little bit of talent and I managed to go and play uh, for school football teams but that's not the reason why he's a favorite teacher because he was the teacher as Paul Dix talks about and Howard Roberts talks about it's that deliberate botheredness he was the one that was doing the extracurricular activities he was the one that was always in a good mood on the duty at lunchtime break time he was the one that did the, the school disco and if you ever think that on a Tuesday night you're staying behind for year seven disco doesn't mean anything I'm still talking in 2022 <laughs> about the 1988 year seven <laughs> disco I know I've lost half the listeners now and Mr. King playing black boxes right on time while I had some kind of neon great big t-shirt and uh, you know mismatched socks so Mr. King's the first one just for being deliberately bothered about everybody um that he taught and the second one is for a totally different reason and she may well still be alive and in fact she did used to live around the corner from me so it's my French teacher at secondary school as well which is Miss Kenyon and it's a very different reason 
So um, I ended up doing French A-level, which I'll, I'll come to now. So the reason that I put her forward as the favourite teacher is because she knew how to play me, Holly. She knew what to do in terms of to how to motivate me into some kind of action. So I vividly remember year 11 parents even. This, this again is about 1993. And mum and dad sat across the, the, the kind of table from Miss Kenyon and tell us about the mock exam results. And she just said, look, he's never going to get above a grade C. He hardly does any work. You know, he's not got, he's not really cut out for this. I wouldn't even consider taking French anything further forward. And listeners will be saying, well, you know, that sounds like one of those stories that people always say about, you know, my teachers never believed in me and they didn't look at me now. It's not that. She knew that I'd go away from that conversation absolutely determined to prove her wrong and say, well, look, I'll get anyway, long story short, six months later, GCSE results day, I might get an A in French. I go and show her as if to say, well, there you go, Miss Galaga. And she went, yeah, I knew you would. I just had to try and figure out how to make sure that it happened. I'm just like, I've been played by my French teacher. You know, she knew exactly how to push the right buttons. And I suppose that speaks to, yes, these kind of, you know, uh, dead poet society, motivational teachers are all very well and good. But actually somebody who was, and she was organized, disciplined, drilled, you know, taught very traditionally, but, it made me get the grades that I needed. I went on and did it at A level. Can't say I've used it much since, but I've got, you know, I'm teaching science for a living. I've got biology, chemistry, and French as A levels. And she's a big part of that. So if she is still alive and she is listening, hello, Miss Kenyon. I think you need to get in touch with her. I think she'd be so proud. Uh, well, no, she'd probably say, <laughs> she'd probably say what my mum said. Well, said I knew it. you would. <laughs> well, exactly. She'd probably say what my mum said when I showed her the book. And again, it's that's another of those from the kind of northern uh, sort of sort of working class upbringing. It was like I took the book to my mum, thinking it'd be some kind of you know emotional moment. She went, "It's a bit thin, isn't it?" I was like, "Oh, right. Okay, what we expecting? You know, something Dickensian, you know, some kind of the tale of two cities or something." This is a book about a podcast, so. Yeah, it's kind of damned with faint praise, but it but it works, doesn't it, sometimes for people and it motivates people and it makes you want to go on kind of, you know, prove them right, I suppose. Yeah, and it does work. I had a similar situation with my um, GCSE English teacher and um, at parents' evening, she told my parents, well, if Holly doesn't work very hard and if she worked as hard as Afshin um, and, and Afshin works like a Trojan, um, then she might actually be able to scrape a GCSE. So a very similar situation. And my parents were furious. Um, and I spent the next couple of years looking over my shoulder at what Afshin was doing in her book and, and trying to make sure my work was better than hers and that it looked like I put more effort into my homework and um, teachers know how to do that don't they mm. um, yeah so go teachers uh, <laughs> Phil um, thank you so much for coming on to Teachers Talk Radio to talk to us about Nailis Natter book and podcast and I am quite excited to hear there may well be a second book because as I said um, you know not being a school-based teacher we do really rely on good quality uh, usable and useful CPD like this book and podcast so um, thank you for bringing together all this expertise and your own expertise for for the benefit of us all. Well, thank you, Holly, and thank you for inviting me on. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.